0: Hello and welcome to New Books in Education. I'm Trevor Matea, one of your hosts on the channel. Today we'll be talking to Heather Dowd about her book, Classroom Management in the Digital Age. Heather, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: It's great to have you here, Heather. Um, I'm wondering if we can start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, my name is Heather Dowd. I started out my teaching career as a physics teacher in high school, so I taught juniors and seniors. And ever since then, I've kind of gotten younger and younger, both physically and uh, with the students that I teach. Um, for the last five years, I've been working with middle school teachers and students as a technology coach. Um, so I've been in the classroom for a long time. Um,
0: and yeah. And so uh, what, uh, what made you initially decide to become a teacher and what kinds of experiences in school, either when you were a student or in your time in the classroom, have most shaped your views on the purpose of public education or of schooling?
1: Well, my mother was a teacher for 35 years, a middle school teacher, and I never wanted to be like her. So I never actually wanted to be a teacher. I went to school and got a physics degree thinking I would become an engineer. Um, But then after I graduated from college, I wanted to go on an adventure. So a friend and I uh, got jobs teaching English in Japan. And so while I was in Japan, I was there for two years. And while I was there, I realized that teaching was actually the place for me and that you know I had a calling to be an educator, I guess. It just felt right. Um, I loved working with my students in Japan and helping them learn English. And so while I was there, I decided that, yep, that's what I wanted to do. So that was probably the biggest formative thing in terms of my decision to become a teacher, um, was being thrown into teaching Mm -hmm. um, and realizing how great it was. And, you know, I loved school as a kid. um, So the thought of staying in school, uh, I liked that idea. Um, So I came back and became a teacher. and in terms of the things that have shaped my views, I would say um, the the teacher prep program that I did, it was a combined, you know, get a teaching degree and a master's degree all in one. Um, and the good thing about that was that in my master's degree classes, I was with experienced teachers. Um, and the focus in that program was constructivist and, you know, it was all about creating your own um you you know, your own knowledge. And, um, I thought back to my growing up and, you know, I was one of those students who school, school was for me, you know, I did well, exceeded. Um, you know, I was, it, it wasn't that hard for me to be, to be successful in school, but that wasn't true for a lot of my family members. And so I guess that got me thinking about who is school for, And I realized that it's not necessarily for everyone. And so I guess that's something that I've always kept in the back of my mind as I was teaching physics and math. You know, that um, what can I do to engage all learners, not just the kids that are like me? Um, So I think that's been something that's really stuck with me throughout the whole time that I've been teaching. You know, how do we make how can we make school for everyone?
0: And so I'm curious, how did you get interested in in classroom technology? And then how did you come to write this book, Classroom Management in the Digital Age?
1: Well, um, I think naturally in physics, we used a lot of technology. And I mean, I guess I've always been kind of a tech geek, so there's always that. But um, in teaching physics, I I was always using technology. And then what I found was when I started teaching math, I started bringing that tech into the math class and I started teaching my colleagues different things with tech. So just kind of informally, I became the tech kind of tech the terms of using tech for learning with the, with my colleagues. Um, and so then I started to, you know, look, that, that was sort of the beginning of, um, ed tech jobs and you know they kind of it was kind of combined with uh library media jobs and I realized there were you know positions out there where you did get to help your colleagues and so I transitioned into this tech coach ed tech coaching role um so that's kind of where it started it just kind of happened informally uh, and then it turned into a formal position and so what Really led to us. So I have a co-author on the book, um, Patrick Green, one of my colleagues from Singapore American School, and um, you know I think what what really inspired us to write the book was that three years ago our school, our middle school, went one to one, and we went through all the growing pains that comes with that. Um, one of which is helping teachers feel prepared and ready to have all of these devices in their classroom. And so the book really comes out of our three years of experience working with our colleagues and getting advice from other schools that we visited. Um, And we realized there wasn't anything out there like this. There were plenty of classroom management books, um, but nothing specifically related to -to one-to-one or having tech in the classroom. So that's kind of where it came from, putting together all of these things that we learned um, working
0: at our school. And so for our listeners um, who've never taught before, I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what do you mean by classroom management? What is that exactly?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) Um, And and we debated on what to title our book. We went through a lot of iterations of that. Um, So classroom management as a term, I think just means setting up your classroom in a way that ensures success for everyone. So, you know, whether that's, what do kids do when they walk in with or without technology? You know, what's your expectation when they walk in? Um, you know, what I have found my first year of teaching is that my classroom management skills were not perfect, um, and you know, a chaos ensued. And so I, you know, remember dealing with science equipment, um, and you know, losing things, and things were thrown out the window, and you know, things got a bit chaotic, and. That's when I realized, okay, I need to set expectations and I need to be clear about those expectations and have follow through. And, you know, by year number two, everything went much more smoothly. So I think it just it refers to having classroom expectations um, that are clear for students to follow so that, you know, you focus on learning and not on the chaos of the materials or the things that you're working with.
0: You've mentioned you've worked with, a ver in a variety of different contexts yourself. So with different age students and also with students in different countries. And so I'm wondering, are there aspects of classroom management that are sort of universal challenges that teachers have or advice that you would share regardless of where they work or who they're working with?
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, I think, There are cultural differences between students in different places, but ultimately when it comes to, you know, having classroom expectations, I think it is universal. I think it's the same, it's been the same principles apply all of the different places that I've worked. So, you know, I started working in public school in Illinois, um, and then I've also taught in Mexico and in Singapore, both at American schools. Um, And, you know, there might be different resources available in those different places, but the principles of classroom management are the same, I think.
0: And so, uh, in your career over a series of years, as technology became more and more commonplace, or at least there was more technology in the hands of students, how did that change your ability to manage a classroom?
1: Um, I think, you know, the 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 basic ideas of having expectations that are clear. I think that's the same. Um, I think what has changed is the, having that device, it, it, I think it changes how we feel as a teacher. It's a little bit scary. Um, you know, kids, kids can be sneaky and they will figure out how to be sneaky just like they used to with my physics equipment. Um, but I think, I think it's, it's having an understanding of where, what kids can do with the device. But I also think it's having confidence that how should I say it? Um, you know, believing in your students that they they do want to do the right thing, and you know, I think if if we well, here, here's an example. Um, you know, kids kids can be sneaky. They can open up windows and other tabs, and they know the you know on a map, the four finger swipe and how to quickly hide something that they're looking at. Um, but what I have found in my experience working with kids is when they walk in the classroom, if I simply give them 60 seconds to say, you know, close everything except for this and this, you know, if I just explicitly tell them what I want them to have open, 95, 97% of the students will do that. And and then they won't get distracted by that Skype window that they had hidden in another corner. Um, and so I guess it's, you know, believing that the kids they, you know, I, I, I believe they want to do the right thing. They just need a little help sometimes, you know, their brains aren't fully developed and, and, you know, sometimes they just, they just need a little guidance from us. Um, so do you know know that fully answers your question?
0: Sure. Well, I think it's also nice to sort of have a heads up anyways. I mean, all of us, regardless of our age, tend to multitask. And so if we know that we uh, need to have something ready in a minute or in a couple minutes, that makes things a lot easier, or I feel more comfortable. And when I know uh, someone might pop up behind my shoulder at any moment, I I really appreciate the the practical aspect of your book. And so for those of you who haven't picked it up yet, it's, it's broken up into four sections. And so you cover procedures, you cover rules and expectations, you give uh, a a range of other tips and strategies, and then you talk about your messaging with parents. And so I'm hoping that I can talk to you a little bit about each of these first, uh, what are the procedures that you recommend that promote organization and efficiency for either teachers or students?
1: Um, in terms of organization, I think, um, just communicating what, so there's one section we have in there called communicating the day's agenda and the homework. And, you know, that one came out of my experience in the classroom before kids had tech. Um, you know, one of the things that I did that that I remember my students appreciated, like they would commonly tell me they appreciated it was, you know, I, every day, and, and I did mine back then it was, it was a website, but it could have been a piece of paper. Um, but every day I had, this is what we're doing today. You know, here's a link to the, the worksheet that we're using or the resource that we need. And then here's the homework. And, you know, I think that the, act of communicating that information helps with classroom organization and efficiency. Now that before technology that could have been written on the board you know I know one of the one of those first schools I taught at um, one of our um, requirements was to write the the learning objectives on the board every day. Um, Now with devices we might not need it written on the board but we have to come up with some way to communicate that, that to students and the 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 advantage of every student having their own device is it can be in, you know, in a Google doc or, um, in a, if you're using Google classroom or if you're using another kind of learning management system, you know, having a system and, and for students to know where to go. So whether that's bookmarked in their browser or, you know, whatever it is so that when students come in during that day or if they miss a day, they don't have to come to you and say, what did we do today? It's, it's there. They know how to get to it. So I guess setting up that procedure so that everyday students know this is where I go to see what we're doing today. This is where I get the resources that I need. Um, you know, it's just, it's just even easier now that everybody has, has a
0: device. Definitely. And, uh, so what are your rules and expectations? Uh, because I'm sort of mindful that, uh, as teachers, we need to spend some time at the beginning of the year to build a strong classroom community so that people are comfortable sharing their ideas and working with one another. Um, that all becomes a little bit more difficult when students are interacting a lot online. Um, so if you're not looking at somebody in the eye or you're not being able to read their body language, you're not sure if you've offended somebody, right? And so we can be a little bit more coarse with our words. So uh, what do you do to try and avoid those situations as, as much as you can? And What other concerns would you have um, in implementing devices in a classroom?
1: Um, I think specifically related to that concern, I think the number one thing that you have to bring into a device rich classroom are digital citizenship lessons. Um, and you know I think I think we did that as teachers before we had devices. Um, I know that I've in a lot of the schools that I visited when I talked to teachers about you know what they think is important. Teachers everywhere will tell you that along with their curriculum, they're also teaching respect and they're teaching, you know, um, perseverance and, and all of these other good qualities, um, things that we want our students to leave with. Uh, and I think it's the same when it comes to digital devices. So, you know, you mentioned that now, you know, now I'm interacting on a screen and maybe I can't see the person's face and I want to make sure that, you know, that I'm not misreading what is said. You know, any time you do an activity where let, let's um, I'll, I'll pick an example. Let's say I'm going to have students leave digital comments for other students. Mm-hmm. So if it's the first time I'm doing that in my classroom, I'm going to take 10 minutes and I'm going to have a conversation with my students about what does it mean to leave an appropriate comment. And and again, I think this is applicable Even offline, I know that um, a friend of mine is a a drama teacher, and one of her learning objectives is to critique, is to teach students how to critique other students' work on stage. And so when you go into her classroom, students, and and this is not digitally, this is, you know, verbal, but when you go into her classroom and, and you hear her ask students to give other students feedback, it is at a high level because she has taught them, this is how you give feedback. Know, these are the kinds of things that 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 are helpful for a person, you know, for a, um, a, an actor on stage to hear, and so I think it's the same in the digital world. You know, you you teach students this is what it means to give a good comment. You know, you give the the two pluses and a minus, or however you you know however you want to um, uh, uh, f- design that. But you know, when you teach students how to do it, they do a good job, and. You know, I I have a lesson that I do with our sixth graders where we, um, I give them, before they're allowed to give anyone any comments, I give them some sample comments, and they have to arrange them in a continuum of what, you know, what's a good comment, what's a bad comment. And then from that experience, they make a list of these are the things that make a good comment, and they make a much better list than even I made. And, um, And then we work through, okay, let's, you know, the fact that it's not just hi, I like this, you know, that's not a helpful comment. So how do you keep the conversation going? And then they, then their comments get better. So, I mean, that's, that's one example, but, um, I think that's a concrete digital citizenship example. And then now that becomes the classroom rule. You know, when you leave a comment, these are the, these are the guidelines that you created. And again, and, and that's sort of another side thing. I think whenever you can bring the students, into the conversation, when they create those rules, they are much more likely to follow them. Um, So, you know, we have a list of different kinds of rules you might want to implement in your classroom. But, you know, ultimately, if you can get students to come up with that list together, you're going to have much more buy-in. You know, some of the other rules in there are are more, um, you know, more just about how, how are the devices going to be charged and those kinds of things that are totally classroom dependent on you know where are the devices stored and are they do kids take them home or not and you know some of that is just logistic logistical and you'll have to figure that out you know figure out what works for your classroom but um you know as much as possible if you can involve students in the classroom norms and expectations you're going to create that that culture together um and it's and it's more likely to you know, be successful.
0: you also have a a third section. It's all about your, your other tips and strategies. Um, Would you be willing to share a couple of those now and what things are going to promote the most learning?
1: I think one thing that we talk about in there is how to deal with tech questions. I think that that's also a change. Now we have all of these devices in the classroom. And so not only are kids going to have questions on whatever the learning objective is, but you know, they're going to get stuck on something. And, and when kids get stuck on something, the, the immediate response is they raise their hand and they want your attention right now and they want an answer. And I think that can um, be intimidating and overwhelming for teachers. Um, at least I'll speak for myself. You know, when I first was in classrooms with all of those devices, that is a bit crazy and you have got a million students asking questions. So I think coming up with a, a strategy um, for how to help students to help themselves is key. So um, in in that section, we talk about that. And you know, we, we talk about things like, um, if it's the first time that students are using a, a piece of software or a website, uh, often I'll give them five or 10 minutes to explore. And I won't, you know, I won't go and click and say, do this, do this, do this, because then they're going to check out. So instead I say, okay, this is what we're going to use today. How many are familiar with it? Maybe, maybe someone, maybe not. Here's five minutes, go and explore, learn as many things as you can in those five minutes. And then after five minutes, they shut their laptop, you know, they shut their lids. And then we have a quick discussion. What did you learn? And we find out that no one person is an expert, but as a classroom, we now know pretty much everything about that program. And then and then I start to identify who is the expert in you know using um whatever it is. Let's let's say it's iMovie or something, and then I make a list on the board. Here are my iMovie experts. These are the people who are willing to answer your questions if you have a question. And, and so one, it empowers the kids. They love to be helpful mm-hmm. and you know, they they love to be the expert. And two, it helps my my sanity as a teacher. You know, I don't have to answer everything. Um, and then also, you know, the another thing that we have in there is kind of the ask three before me. And, you know, it can be taken many ways. So it can be ask three people before you ask me the teacher or ask Google or ask YouTube. And I have found that that has changed the level of conversation between teacher and student. Because now those questions that they can figure out on their own by just trying for 30 seconds or asking another person that, that gets taken care of. And then it saves the the questions that then get to me as a teacher are at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's about what we're learning or, you know, something really advanced that they want to try. And so I've found by, and it's hard as a teacher to not answer their question right away and to, you know, follow the ask three before me. It's, it's hard. Like I just want to answer their question, but when I don't, the conversation changes and I think it changes for the better.
0: What do you think parents need to know?
1: Um, I think parents need to know where we stand on all of these devices. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think here's a, an example from my school Um, in elementary school, they decided to go one-to-one with iPads. And when they first announced that, Um, parents were worried. And, and I think what it came down to is they were worried because in their view, in their mind, by having the iPads in the classroom meant that kids were going to sit with an iPad and not be doing something else. And that it was kind of like a babysitter. And so it took, I think like our biggest um, advice in the parenting section is is communicating to your parents what you're doing with the devices in the classroom. Uh, and I think once parents saw what kids were creating and how kids were interacting with the iPads, it was different than what they in, had envisioned. And I think those concerns pretty much went away. Um, so I think as much as possible, if you can share the amazing things that your kids are doing with whatever device it is that you have. Um, you're going to be in a, a, a better position, and you know it was. I, it might seem strange to have a section for you know on, on partnering with parents in a classroom management book, but I think that I, I I just think that by connecting parents to what is happening in our classrooms just helps the whole classroom environment in general. Um, you know, I think I mean what kids do in our classrooms around the world are. And I'm amazed when I go into another teacher's classroom and I see what kids are doing. And I think that if parents can be connected to that and they can be so easily with technology now, um, you know, I think that just invites them to be part of the conversation and, and to be quite honest, many of the classroom management strategies are also strategies that parents can use at home. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, there are, but by telling parents that, no, because we have devices does not mean our kids are on them the whole class period. We use it when it's needed, you know. And, and by showing parents that ultimately we are still in control in the classroom and that, you know, things might look chaotic sometimes because um, learning. Uh, but there are still times where we are not on devices and, you know, we put them away. And I think that empowers parents to realize they can do the same thing at home. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested in that idea that even though we have access to devices all the time, it doesn't mean that we're using them all the time. And so like what's an activity or a lesson that you've taught or have seen taught where you think, wow, that is dramatically better when students are able to access a device on their own versus thinking, well, this might be a distraction in this, in this case, or this might actually just be better without devices. Can you? Are there a couple that come to mind?
1: I think one area where having access to devices is very powerful is when you're asking students to tell us what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in the past, I mean, we've we've always had different options for that, but I think the, the creativity options that technology opens up are amazing. So you know, from things like creating a movie, telling a story with a movie or telling a story with photos. Um, you know, those are things that we couldn't do for and because we didn't have access. So I think that is a, a, a po- it's a powerful tool for creativity. Um, and then your other question was, you know, what is an example of something that might be better without tech? Um, I know w- one time I tried to do a uh, an activity where students were I think we were doing a brainstorming activity and I decided to use tech for it. Um, and they were basically kind of like writing sticky notes and then we were trying to group the sticky notes by topic. Um, but it got kind of crazy. The, the tool that I was using didn't really work. Um, and then I realized, you know what, I don't know why I did that because we have used sticky notes. I mean, it's not like we weren't, we were in class together. Um, and so the next time I did that particular activity, we used sticky notes and we did the old fashioned, put them on the whiteboard or put them on poster paper. And, you know, I realized that was, a that was an easier thing to do. And then I could still take a picture of that and, and hold on to that, you know, digitally, um, and put that, make that available for kids. So, you know, I think it just, you have to look at what you're doing and, and, and look at the, the trade-offs and, you know, make a decision, um, and sometimes it's better to use paper and I am not anti paper. <laughs> you know, paper is great for a lot of things.
0: And so, uh, if your readers had just one takeaway from the book, what do you hope that it would be?
1: Um, that, that you can manage a classroom with devices that I guess my one takeaway would be, I want to empower teachers to feel comfortable with the devices in their classroom and not be intimidated by them. Um, and I, I mean I, I I think that was our goal in putting the book together, um, you know is, is to provide practical advice. So it's really, you know I think it's especially meant for teachers who, whether experienced or not experienced, you know in terms of teaching, You know, but people who are maybe new to having devices in their classroom and aren't quite sure where to start, um, I'd like to think our book is a starting point Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you can just flip through it. You know, you don't have to read it cover to cover. You can just flip through and get a few tips. And, you know, I think it's like anything that's new to us. Sometimes it it feels scary until someone just says, but here are a couple of simple ideas. And then you realize, oh, well, I can implement that very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you realize, no, I can, I can do this. So I think my takeaway would be, um, it's not as scary as you think. Um, it's an exciting opportunity. I mean, if you're going to have devices in your classroom, I mean, I think good for you. Like there's so many amazing things, doors that are going to open up for you and your students. Um, and so don't fear the technology, embrace it.
0: So what are three other books that you might recommend to our listeners if they've enjoyed our conversation and they enjoy reading your book, Heather?
1: Um, well, there are a couple of older ones that, um, that I read a while ago that when I was first teaching. Um, one was, one is, I think the title is just Cooperative Learning. Um, and that one, I, I thought of that one because it's not necessarily about technology, but um, when I, my first year of teaching the school where I was teaching their focus for professional development that year was on cooperative learning. And I liked that book because it was just, uh, you know, full of strategies and, and like think pair share and some of the things that many of us have been doing. Um, but I liked that book cause you could just open it up to any page and here's a strategy. This is what it's for. And you could try it. Um, so that was one that, you know, i in terms of being practical and just, you know, easy to use. I liked that one. Um, another book that I have enjoyed as an educator is Brain Rules. Um, and that one that's uh, a neuroscientist has collected, and I think there's a new edition now, collected um, all of the research on the brain and, and what we know and what we don't know about, you know, how the brain functions. Um, and it's it's not written specifically for teachers, but it, you know, it also applies to the workplace um, and, you know, for if you're a coach or a parent. Um, but I really I, I thought that book was great in terms of, you know, thinking about what is going on in the brain and what might work in our classrooms. Um, and then one that might be a bit more practical to Google, if you're a Google school, is um, the HyperDoc Handbook. Uh, also published by EdTech Team, and um, that one is a great resource if you're, you know, getting into Google Docs if your school has Google Docs with students. But you also want to h- learn how to use Google in a way that's a bit more inquiry-driven with students. Um, you know, the the book is, you know, it it will lead you through how to create. Google Docs and hyperlinks and things like that. But it's also really about setting up a lesson for students where students are using their devices to, you know, dive in and find information and, and report back and, and, you know, very student centered. Um, So that was, that's another book that I would recommend.
0: And um, could you tell us a little bit about your next project or what you're working on now and how our listeners can follow your work?
1: Sure. Probably the best way is to follow me on Twitter. Um, so my Twitter handle is Heza, H-E-Z-A. It's my gap year. So I've just returned home from Singapore and I'm taking a year off of normal, normal classroom teaching. And I'm um, traveling around to schools around the country and working with different teachers on uh, integrating technology. Um, so I think my, I don't know that I have a net project per se um, in terms of a book or anything like that but you know just I, I'm I'm getting out there and learning what's happening in schools all over and um, hopefully I can take that and do something exciting moving forward I don't know time will tell
0: well uh, we wish you the best with your work with other teachers um, thank you for being on the show today I've enjoyed our conversation
1: thanks for having me Trevor I appreciate your time and having me on